Welcome to the Calvary Chapel Naples Weekly Sermon Podcast. We hope you'll be blessed by this week's message from Pastor Aaron Lapp. For more information about this podcast and other Calvary Chapel Naples resources, please visit us at ccnaples.org. Before we jump into Matthew chapter 6 today, let's pray. Father God, you are awesome. I never get to use that word unless I'm talking about you, Lord. So I'm using it now. Awesome. You are awesome, Lord. I thank you so much, Lord, for all the, the, the set of songs that we just sang, glorifying your name and praising you, Lord, is so perfect and appropriate for today, especially. Lord, I thank you for how you lead our worship team and, and how you guide them through song selection. Lord, just so evident that you are here and intimately involved in this church. Thank you, Lord. We come to you this morning, Lord, and ask you to open up our hearts and our minds as Dan prayed, Lord, uh, just Lord, plow up the soil of our hearts to make it ready to hear from you today, Lord, for the seeds that land would take root today, Lord God. I pray that you would change us today, Lord, through your word. And Lord, would you use me this morning just as a tool in your hand, Lord? That is all I am, is a tool in your hands, Lord. I'm ready to be used, Lord. So I thank you, and in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. You know, last week was Easter. A lot of you probably went home and had Easter dinner. There was this family that, that went home uh, and had Easter dinner last week. And um, while they were all sitting around the table as a family, the mom looked over and she said, Mikey, would you please pray for us before we eat? And so my, Mikey got his hands folded and he says, um, Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for my family. Thank you for this food that you've provided. Lord, thank you for Easter and rising from the dead And then he raised his voice much higher and said, and Lord, could I please have a new bike for my birthday? At which point his mom kind of touched his arm. She said, honey, you don't need to raise your voice. God can hear you. And he goes, I know, but grandma can't. (laughs) He thought that was the way to pray. How do you pray? How do you pray? Do you have to do this? In the Old Testament, they did this. Can you pray in your car? Don't close your eyes. (laughs) I'm going to assume from now on that the people at the red light in front of me who aren't going are praying, (laughs) not doing this. (laughs) How do you pray? And uh, are there rules? Are there rules to it? I mean... Well, we're going to talk a little bit about that as we, start, we go through a little bit of review the, of the Lord's Prayer today. But um, <clears throat> last, 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 last week, when we had started chapter 6, there was, there was three really important parts that Jesus is going to talk to. And we got through two. One of them is he says, he talks about um, good works or ch- charitable deeds that are also connected to giving. So it's kind of combined. He's going to be talking about, or he was talking to them about when you do your good works or your charitable deeds, and when you give to the poor, don't do it. And he's, he does this kind of compare contrast thing. Don't be like them. Do it like this. And so he'll say, don't be like those who do their charitable giving or their, or their good deeds so that everybody sees them doing it, making a, a big show of saying, I just want everybody to know that I'm doing something good for someone else and that I'm giving charitably. I just want you, you know what, can you, guys, can you all see me putting in the money? Can, I'm going to blow a trumpet to make sure that everybody knows, like, I'm going to put money in the box and I've got a guy that I paid, he's going to be like, 
So that everyone's like, oh, wow, he made a gift. He says, don't do that. And obviously, you know, like if you give to this church or if you do some good deed, you don't have a trumpet guy following you around. So what's the equivalent to that? Like, do you feel like you have to let somebody know that you've done something good for somebody else? Do you feel like, do you have that in you that says, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to, I really want to help this person, but I also really want people to know that I'm going to help this person. Like, what is that about? How many, no, don't raise your hand. In your minds, just think about, you know, is that something that you deal with sometimes? I'm going to be honest. There are some times that I just, I just want people to know, you know what that is? It's sin. It's sin that I need to confess. Lord, forgive me. Lord, forgive me for wanting people to know the good things that I'm doing because the Bible says, there's your reward. The admiration of the people who you've just told is all you get. That's all you get. Now, I will be perfectly honest with you. Sometimes that's enough. That's, and that's, I don't laugh at that. That's horrible. See, we're not supposed to do that. He says, you know what? When you do your good deeds, when you do your charitable giving, do it so that nobody else knows. You know what? If you're helping a homeless person, help that person. There's no reason for you to then go on and tell everybody that you're helping a homeless person because that's your reward. He says, do it so that your left hand doesn't know what your right hand is doing, which is impossible physically, right? I mean, it's not like they have minds of their own. It simply means do it so that nobody else sees you doing it. You know, and if someone says, hey, I saw, I saw you helping that person, you know, you don't have to be like, no, you didn't. You, like the force. These are not the good charitable deeds you're looking for. It just comes down to where you are coming from in your heart. If you're like, yes, I did. Please honor me for it. He's also gonna, he also talks about praying. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who like to stand on the corner with these long, loud prayers, drawing attention to themselves, saying, look how holy I am because uh, look how, look at the, the big words that I use. Look how I just, you know, have these long, uh, for some reason I'm thinking bombastic prayers that go on and on and on. Whereas all the words I'm saying are actually just so you can look at me and say what a holy prayer that person is, rather than me actually talking to my creator, my God, my father, which Jesus keeps going back to over and over again here. You know, sometimes we don't pray because we're afraid that somebody might hear my prayers and think I'm, I'm not smart. I'm not religious. I'm not spiritual. My prayers are so simple. I just use simple words. I don't know a lot of Bible words. God says, you don't need to know Bible words. You're, you're talking to me. So he gives them what is commonly referred to as the Lord's Prayer in chapter 6. It's not actually the Lord's Prayer. I think it would be more accurately called the Disciples' Prayer. You know, Luke, they come and they say, Lord, teach us how to pray like John taught his disciples. So he gives them the same prayer. He says, when you pray, pray in this manner. In fact, he doesn't say pray these words. He doesn't say this is what to pray. He says this is how to pray. Big difference. Not what to pray, how to pray. He never says to anybody, memorize these words and repeat it often. He just says this is how to pray. And I'm just going to touch on a couple of things about the, I'm just going to call it the Lord's Prayer because we know what we're talking about here. 
First of all, he starts off with our Father. Do you see what he does there? He says prayer is relational. Our Father. And you know what I do love about this? He doesn't say your, say, when you pray, say your Father. He says our Father. He says you're praying to our Father. It's a relational prayer. But do you notice that it starts, this, this prayer, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be the name, and it ends with, for yours is the kingdom and the glory and the power forever, amen. It starts and it ends with praise to our Father. In the middle is our supplication and our need. I really love that pattern. I love that where he says, when you pray, praise your Father Put in your supplications and then praise your father. It is if prayer is bookended by praise with our needs enveloped in between the glory of God. That's where I want my prayers and supplications to be enveloped within the glory of God. Uh, But recognizing the glory of God at the beginning, at the end of prayer is what he's saying. He doesn't say don't pray for the things that you need. It's in there. Give us provision. Give us this day our daily bread. Lord, would you please provide for what we need? Forgive us as we forgive. Lord, you're awesome. That's how he says to them, pray. So then look at this 14 and 15. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, and their trespasses, neither will your father forgive you your trespasses. It's the only thing in the prayer that he repeats. In the prayer, he says, ask God to forgive you as you forgive those who need to be forgiven. <clears throat> then he repeats it after the prayer, and he says, he emphasizes forgiveness. He is emphasizing forgiveness. It's so important to God. Do you know why? Do you know why that he emphasizes forgiveness? Why it's so important? Because the entire gospel is hinged on the idea of forgiveness. That's why he came to die on the cross so that you could be forgiven of a debt that you could never pay back. Do you believe that? That's faith right there. So he says, he repeats it again because forgiveness is the center of the gospel. You must grasp it. Lord, Forgive me for withholding forgiveness. It's going to be one of those days, gang. There's a lot of Lord forgive me's today. Okay, so verse 16. This is new. Now this is the new stuff. Moreover, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces, that they may appear to be fasting. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. Okay, so fasting was implemented in the Old Testament one day a year on the Day of Atonement, right? That was the day when the high priest went in and sprinkled blood on the altar and was for forgiveness of their sins. They were instructed on that day to fast. Now, somewhere along the line, they added a couple more times. In fact, they added two days a week, Mondays and Thursdays. Um, some very pious Jews said, well, we need to fast on Mondays and Thursdays. It had to do with the day that Moses went up the mountain to get the law and the day that he came back. And so they started to fast. Now, as time goes on, <coughs> it actually became a way of, for, for, for very pious Jews to, to 
make it so that people could see that they were fasting and think, wow, they're really spiritual. <laughs> but it wasn't enough for them to, to fast for two days. They were like, you know what? Not enough people are really noticing. You know what we need to do? We need to look like we're suffering through the fast. And so they would ignore their, they, you know, they would get up and they wouldn't brush their hair or wash their face. In fact, it says that they would alter their appearance. So, you know, they would probably have uh, an outfit that was, where it was all shabby and wrinkled, you know, not, not, you know, not ironed. <laughs> I don't know. They didn't do that, but you know what I mean, you know. Um, and their hair would be messy. And then they would put like ash on their face to make their face look really withdrawn. And so then they would kind of have this sad countenance and people like, oh, what's the matter? And be like, oh, I'm fasting. Oh. <laughs> He's so holy. He's so holy. He does that twice a week. Some, in some, some accounts, it says that they went even further than that and just covered their face with black ash. So their whole face was covered black with ash. So there would be no mistaking that today was a day that this person was fasting. I wonder if they really were fasting at all. But look, the indication in the text, Jesus says, don't be like the hypocrites that appear to be fasting for the sake of people recognizing them. A hypocrite is someone who says one thing but does another. So I'm wondering if they got up and they had you know, their McMuffin and their coffee, and then they went in and they just were like put on their makeup and their shabby clothes and messed up their hair, and then went out and they were just standing on the street corner, you know, um, fasting. <laughs> you see that people thinking they were fasting and were very holy was more important to them than maybe actually fasting. And even if they were fasting, they were doing it for the wrong reasons. They were doing it for the praise of the people who saw them. Are you, again, able to do some good deed without any, letting anybody know? Or does it just eat you up inside? Because I got to find a way to let somebody know that I'm fasting. Early on, I remember this one particular day, and I guess the Lord won't let me forget this for your sakes. So I'm glad you can <clears throat> learn from my horribleness. <clears throat> I, but I, you know, this is early in my, I was just saved, and, uh, and I, I went to work one day, and I had determined I was going to fast that day. For, that was real. I, that, was the, that was the purpose of it was I was going to fast that day. And then, of course, um, it came to be lunchtime, and I worked in a fairly small office, and they were like, hey, we're going to go and order lunch. Do you want us to get you something? I was like, no, no, I'm fasting. <laughs> as soon as I said the words, I thought, I'm a horrible wretch. That's, that, that, I just blew it. I blew it. <laughs> if you're fasting, are you able to do it without letting somebody no. Here's the thing now, okay? Let's say um, tomorrow I decide that I'm going to spend the day, I'm going to fast. And by, by the way, let me just tell you this. The word fast in the Bible, do you know what it means? To, do you know what the word fast means? To abstain from food. That is literally it. To not eat food. So I hear a lot of times like, I'm fasting from Facebook, and I'm fasting from technology, or I'm, I'm fasting for TV, or whatever. Whatever. If that helps you, great. But that's not a biblical fast. A biblical fast is you don't eat. You know what the purpose of fasting is, really? To let your flesh know that your spirit is in control. Or to help you realize just how much control your flesh has over your spirit, which is probably more realistic. 
Well, let's say tomorrow I decide that I'm going to fast. I say, I already blew it because I'm telling you. So it's not for real. It's just an example. <laughs> and then, so I'm doing all right. I'm fasting. I, get, I come to your house in the afternoon for, to visit, <laughs> and you bring out coffee and Entenmann's. I'm eating the cake. I'm telling you right now. I'm eating the cake. Because it, it's not like I'm going to sit there and be like, no, no, sorry, I can't. I'm fasting today. Right? If you bring out Entenmann's, I'm going to eat it with you because we're in fellowship together. Right? It's not about the rules of it. It's about the intention of my heart. Right? My favorite entomans, by the way, in case you're wondering. Is... <laughs> he says... Um, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face. It means this, and you can, you can see this as clear as I can. If you decide to fast, it should be between you and God. Get up, get dressed like you normally would, brush your teeth by all means. Uh, wash your face, comb your hair, put on the regular clothes, and go out and do your day. Um, but when you're in those times, like fasting, if you, if you get up and like, well, this is one I would normally eat lunch, then maybe go and spend some time quietly in prayer by yourself where no one's going to notice and just sit there and commune with God and take that point and show your flesh that your spirit is in control. When you fast. Verse 18, so that you do not appear to men to be fasting, but to your father who is in a secret place and your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Now, 19, do not, lay up for, do not lay up for yourself treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in. When you think treasure, when you read this, and you've read this before, I'm sure, and you say, well, we're not supposed to lay up treasure for ourselves. When you think treasure, what do you think? Like money and possession and, uh, you know, uh, I always think gold and rubies like pirate. I don't know why it's treasure, I think pirate. Um, do you know why pirates are called Pirates. They just are. <laughs> you want to know something really interesting? My wife is not amused at all. She's just like... <laughs> Here's something really interesting, though. Is that there are sometimes, as I'm reading through, there are words that jump off the page at me where I feel I hear the Lord say, why don't you look this up? Why don't you look into this word? So I did. And the word treasure there is actually in Greek, it's thesauros. Thesaurus. You know what that sounds like? Thesaurus. It's actually where we get the word thesaurus. So um, actually, and, and, and it could be treasure, it could be physical um, money or resources or possessions that he's talking about, but um, the word thesaurus, um, it, uh, it means stored up thoughts in our heart and mind. That's the word that is used right here. Stored up thoughts in our hearts and minds. Now, as we go through this, think about this, not in terms of money, possessions, ruby, gold, whatever, but think about it in the thought, where your thoughts are stored up. And it makes much more sense within the context of the chapter and what he's talking about. So he's saying, don't store up or don't let your mind be consumed with the things that this world has to offer you. Okay? Then it says where moth and rust destroy. Now, again, when I read the Bible now, things jump off at me. And one of those things was rust. 
was rust really a big problem in the first century? I mean, was there a lot of like metal things going bad because they were rusty? And I thought that's such a strange word to be in the first century New Testament, rust. So I looked that up. The word rust actually means eaten up. So I get why they translated it later on to rust because that's what rust does. It eats up metal. What this says is where moth um, or things of the world will eat up what you have stored. So listen to this now. He says, don't let your mind be consumed with the things of, that this world has to offer because the things that this, of this world will inevitably consume your thoughts. And he's going to go into worry and anxiety right after this. So he's like, if your mind, if your thoughts are so wrapped up in what, what's going on here and around the things of this world, the things of this world will consume your thoughts. And it says, it goes on and it says where, where thieves <coughs> break in and steal. The word thieves is really specific, not robbers. Thieves. The word thieves is someone who comes in secretly under the cover of darkness and steals. Steals, again, is the word secretively. So the idea is that it's subtle. You may not even notice it. You may not even realize that it's happening, that the world, the things that you're focused on are the very things that are consuming your thoughts. And you may not even realize it. But now I'm telling you it now so that you can think about that. He says, on the contrary, lay up for, tre- lay up for treasure, <laughs> lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in. It basically says, put your thoughts in the hands of your father. What does this mean? Put your thoughts in the hands of your father. Well, I don't really need to answer that question. Jesus is going to answer it if we just read on. Jesus is going to tell us what that means. But rather than being consumed with and ultimately consumed by the things that this world has to offer, he says, put your thoughts in the hands of the Father. Then he says, for where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Where your thoughts are stored up is where your affections will be also. Where your thoughts are stored up is where your affections be. So if your thoughts are stored up here, wrapped up in the things that you have going on here, this is where your affections will be. But if you say, Lord, I'm storing up my thoughts in the hand of you who are in heaven, your affections will be pointed towards God. Now, 22 on its own, seems out of place right here. The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore the eye is good, the whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? This verse sometimes gets looked at as say, well, this is talking about if you're look, what, you know, what you're looking at will poison your soul. Or if you're looking at things that are good, it's good for you. It's not about that. That is not what this is saying. The, <coughs> excuse me, the word eye there, if your eye is good. The lamp of the body is eye. In Greek, it's the word mind's eye, not eyeball, not seeing. If your mind's eye is good, and the word good is singularly focused. If your mind is singularly focused, 
You'll be full of light or it will be revealed to you. You understand he's going to be talking about not having a double-minded life, thinking this and that or this and that. But he's saying if your mind is singularly focused on good, God, this is going to get to, then your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, and bad, that word right there means divided. If your mind is divided, your whole body will be full of darkness. And if therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? The word bad, again, divided, it also means um, obscure or unclear. So a divided mind leads to obscurity or an unclearness. I don't know if that's a word, but you know what I mean. It means like if your mind is singularly focused on God, you'll be full of light. But if your mind is divided, um, it leads to obscurity, uh, a, a confusion. How many of you know that feeling? I don't know what to do or where to go. God, what am I supposed to do? Asking God, what am I supposed to do? But then turning your focus on your own way of getting it done. And God says, hello, look up here. Lord, forgive me for being double-minded. Help me, please, to be singularly focused on you. It's the message here. He says, no one can serve two masters. That indication in the text is not just two, but two who are pulling in opposite directions, whose orders are in direct contrast to one another. No one, he says, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate one and love the other or else he will be loyal to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Typically, mammon is um, defined as money, but it's more than that. It's treasure a person trusts in. Physical health, relationships, putting anything in your life before God. You know what the Bible calls that? Idolatry. Anything in your life before God is idolatry, and that's sin. There's a remedy to sin, and it is confession. God says, if you come to me and you confess your sins, I forgive you, and I cleanse you from all iniquity. But we just don't do it enough. We don't do it enough. Lord, you know what? You know, David... The guy in the Bible was king for a little while. Goliath, Bathsheba, all those stories, right? God looked at David's life and all of the sin that he did, and he said, this is my man. David's my guy. You know why? Because David confessed and repented constantly. Every time sin was brought to his attention in his life, he was like, Lord, forgive me. Please, I've sinned against you. And the Lord forgave him and forgot it. David didn't walk around in condemnation because of the sin that he had committed in his past because he confessed it and was forgiven. Same can be for you. Same for you. Walking around in condemnation because of sin that you've maybe not confessed, that is supposed to happen because it is sorrow over your sin that drives you to confession so that you can then be forgiven, cleansed of all iniquity, and return to perfect relationship with God, your Father. Maybe it's the medication I'm on, but I'm like, whew. (laughs) Yeah. 
Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? In my Bible, it says worry. I don't know what version you're reading, but the actual word here is don't be anxious. Anxious. Anxiety is a huge problem now. Anxiety is a word that means pulled in many directions. Pulled in many directions. When you are having anxiety, when you are worried, it is because you are being pulled in many, maybe several directions all at the same time. And you start thinking, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. And our first thought is, I need to fix this. I need to do this. I need to do that. What if this happens? What if this doesn't happen? What if they show up? What if they don't show up? What happens if I don't have enough? What happens if I get to be 65 and there's no more money left in my account? <clears throat> That's, those aren't mine. I, a friend told me those <laughs> before. I'm good. He says, don't be anxious about your life. Remember who's telling us this, by the way. Not a guy. Jesus Amen. is telling us, don't be worried about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, what your body, what you will put on. Do you know what's really it's interesting? When I look at this, he's basically encapsulated the entire human experience right there. What will I eat? What will I drink? What will I wear? And I would add, how will I entertain myself? <laughs> the entire human experience incorporated right there. And he says, why are you so consumed with that? So much so that you're being pulled in many different directions, wondering how, and, and it's not just like, well, what restaurant will we go to? Or what, you know, what fancy clothes will I wear? It's most of the time, I hope I have food. I hope I have clothes. I hope I have a place to sleep someday. And, you know, how will I entertain myself? I, that always seems to fit in there. <laughs> so he does this. First of all, when he says, don't be anxious, and then we are anxious, what are we doing? Yes. And so we say, Lord, forgive me. Because why are we anxious? Why are we worried? Because we don't believe that he will do what he says he will do. He says, Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? Look around. Do you know in that verse that says the, you know, um, do you know the verse? Because I forgot it. <laughs> Creation reveals the glory of God. When you think of that, what are you thinking about? Sunsets, mountains, the grand things. Like you're like on the beach, and you're seeing the sunset. Like this really declares the glory of God. Do you ever look at a bird? And be like, oh man, that's the glory of God right there. Maybe some of you do. I don't generally. But he says, look at the bird. The word look is like observe. Don't just see it, observe it. He's saying right now, I want you to look at this bird. And um, he says, they don't sow or reap or gather in the barns and yet your heavenly father feeds them. And he says, are, the, are you not more valuable to the Father than a bird? Do you know what you don't see, though? You don't see, like, big, fat, lazy birds sitting in their nest just like. <laughs> they actually have to go out and, and get worms and, and berries and things like that, you know? 
So it's not like he's saying, just sit home, binge watching Seinfeld for the next 30 years. Your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more value than they? And which of you, by being worried, can add one cubit to his stature? If being worried could grow you taller, we would be 60, 70 feet tall, many of us. People walking around. Do you want to know something? That's not what this verse says in Greek. This verse in Greek says, cannot add one hour to his life. Being worried about the future doesn't help you get to the future. In fact, it shaves days off your life. That's, that's medically shown. I looked at the Mayo Clinic website. All the things that worry and anxiety physically cause in your body. And God is trying to spare us from that. Says, and remember, I keep saying, God, forgive me. He keeps on saying, your father, your father, your father, who wants to provide for you as a father provides for his children. He says, <clears throat> so why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. That's so important. It's one of those verses you're just like, oh, I totally get what he's saying. But it's so deep. What he's saying was, he's talking about Solomon, the greatest king that ever lived, the richest king that ever lived, the wisest king that ever lived would be so arraigned, and when it says in his glory, that means like not on a regular day, but on a day that he was sitting in his throne completely arraigned in glory from head to toe with the things that were made for him by men to wear to show off his glory. The absolute best efforts of man to show glory so pales in comparison to the smallest little thing that God did. That's our best effort is nothing compared to what God can do for you. And yet we put all of our faith in the things that we can do rather than say the word says that he will provide, not just provide. Look at he's saying, like, look, the best you can do is next to nothing compared to even my slightest effort to clothe the flowers, which he'll say are here today dead tomorrow. That's, that's him saying they're so, they're so it's in comparison to a person, it's a nothing. And I still arraign them beautifully. Have you ever, you know, here's the thing. And here's where creation really um, shows off God's glory compared to the best efforts of man. If you take a view of really uh, some really beautiful thing that we've created, whether it's a, uh, it's a, an instrument, uh, a piece of artwork or something that we've created and then you compare it to a thing from nature under a microscope. The closer you get to a man-made thing, the more chunky and gray it gets. Have you ever seen any comparisons like this? It gets blocky, it gets gray, it gets ugly the closer you get. If you look at something that God created under a microscope, it gets more intense, more detailed, and more beautiful. Whew, man. But you know what? Let me do it. God, let, let me handle this. Let me do it on my own because, you know, I, I know how to sew. I do. I, I do all my own buttons. 
<clears throat> verse 30, now if God so clothes the grass of the fields, which is today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith, he says. Oh. <laughs> this is what it means. Oh, you of little faith. Describes someone dull to the hearing of the Lord's voice. Oh, you know, we hear when he says, oh, you of little faith, Oh, you have little faith. And we kind of misunderstand what he's saying. He's saying, oh, you have little voices, talking about someone who has become dull to the voice of the Lord or disinterested in walking intimately with him. Do you know how that happens? You are sucked into the cares of this world so deeply that you've either become dull to his voice or disinterested in what he has to say. Subtle, it's subtle. Therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, and what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For all these things the Gentiles seek. Okay. At this time, when he's talking about Gentiles, he's talking about those who believe and those who don't believe. Do you understand? Like, I'm a Gentile because I wasn't born Jewish, but I'm a believer, so this doesn't include me. So what he's saying is those who believe are different and those who don't believe because those who don't believe seek after all these things. Don't do it. They must. you know why? Because this is as good as it gets for them. If you are not a believer in the one God of the universe who sent his son Jesus to die for you, this life is the best you can expect. So you better be about it. But good luck with that. Because when you die, it's all gone. There is nothing you take. I, I once heard someone say of, of a very rich man who passed away, and someone said, oh my goodness, how much did he leave behind? And the person says, everything. <laughs> he left everything behind. He says, don't seek after the things like the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you have, that you need all these things. What's all mean? Oh, we say that all the time. All means all. That's all, all means. It's actually, right here, it actually means, all means each and every part. To me, that means more than just to say all. It says that he knows that you need each and every part that has just been discussed. He knows that you need it. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added. He says, seek first, <coughs> first place, priority. That's what that's talking about. Remember, we're talking about where you're storing up your thoughts here on earth or in the hands of God in heaven. He says, seek me first and my righteousness and each and every part of what you need will be added to you. He says, I will provide. And that doesn't mean that we get to sit back and, and like the, you know, the lazy bird and, and you know, binge watch Seinfeld. You, doesn't mean that. One commentator, he puts it like this. God does not forbid labor to maintain, support, or preserve this life, nor does he forbid all thought and care about it, but all anxious and moderate, perplexing and distressing, distressing thoughts and cares, such as arrive from unbelief, 
and tend to despair, which is dishonorable to God. He says he doesn't, he doesn't say you can't work or even shouldn't work. He doesn't say you can't think about the things that you've got going on. But he says, but not anxious thought, not perplexing, distressing thoughts that care, that arise from unbelief. That means God says that he will provide. Do I believe that he will so much that I'm willing to say, I'm not going to be anxious or worried about what's coming down the road. Lord, forgive me for being so concerned with what's coming down the road that I've taken my eyes off the fact that you've told me in your word that you will provide. Forgive me, Lord. And he says, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself, its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. That on the surface does not encourage me. It's almost like he's saying, don't worry about tomorrow. Today is bad enough. <laughs> but here's the thing, and it's been said that Christians are crucified between two thieves, the past and the future. Being too focused on either will rob you of today and what the Lord has for you today. Incidentally, not a single one of us has been promised tomorrow. Right. Not a single one of us has been promised tomorrow. So I think the Lord would say, you could go ahead and you can plan, but you have to hold it like this because you don't know if, if tomorrow will come. What a horrible waste it would be to live your life wrapped up in anxiety and worry about tomorrow and next week and next month, next month and the next message <laughs> and, and everything down the line only for him to call you home tomorrow. Oh, man. And thinking, I could have been about today. And whatever's the Lord may have something incredible in front of you today, and you're not seeing it because you're looking down the road or you're consumed with the past. Don't be crucified between these two thieves. The Lord already took care of this. That's all I got. Listen, this is what it comes down to. Every single one of us in this room is guilty of something that I talked about today. But every single one of you has the same opportunity to come and confess. And I don't mean come, you got to come up and, and kneel in front. If you want to, you can. If you want to come up and kneel in front of the church here and, and pray and confess something that the Lord has laid on your heart, I would certainly welcome you to do it. Um, well, we're going we're gonna to sing a, a song, and maybe that's the time. Maybe the Lord is saying, when we start singing this song, come forward and confess so that you can be cleansed and you can leave here in close, unhindered relationship with me today. But if you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior, today is the day that the Lord has made. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Amen. If you want to come forward as we sing this last song because you just need prayer, please do that. We're going to be up front on either side of the stage and we're going to pray with you, whatever it is that you want to pray about. If you need healing, come forward. I can't guarantee that you'll be healed, but I can guarantee that we will pray for you for that. The Lord will do what the Lord wills to do. But he tells us to be specific in our prayers. So let's be specific in our prayers. Amen.
Amen. Let's pray right now. Father God, you are amazing. Lord, thank you for walking us through what could be a a passage that we just read right through and think, yep, I'm fine. I don't worry. I'm good. Lord, thank you for reminding us, bringing to our, our attention how easily we could slip into that, how subtle it happens in our lives. Lord, thank you so much. Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would be in your spirit heavy on those here that need to come to you and confess, Lord, and be cleansed so that they leave here today clean from all iniquity, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for your word. Thank you, Lord, for your sacrifice, for your gift to us, Lord. We love you. We praise you, Lord. You are awesome. Thank you, Father. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.